0: Welcome to Season 2 of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, brought to you by The Bold Italic. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha K. Do you
1: listen to Marketplace? Yes, I do too. I'm a huge fan of Marketplace, but I'm a huge fan of Marketplace because of one person.
0: Yeah, Molly is just a terrific host, and we're very, very lucky to have Molly Wood as uh, our guest on today's episode.
1: Yeah, Molly kind of does it all. She's an amazing host of Marketplace. She's run podcasts. She was one of the early podcasters, maybe responsible for starting podcasting or making it popular.
0: And we even invent a new term for a new business idea with Molly on the fly.
1: And we're not going to say it now because between the time that we record this, um, we have to go out and get the domains and do all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, we we have to, we have to make sure we lock this thing down. It's going to be huge. Um, also, a quick plug, Molly is selling her six-speed manual BMW. And if you want a manual BMW in the Bay Area, uh, reach out to Molly on Twitter.
0: You're really going to enjoy today's episode with Molly Wood.
1: Molly, thank you for being here on This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley.
2: I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: And you live in Silicon
2: Valley, right? Uh, Sort of. I live in Oakland, which I guess is like living in Brooklyn in Silicon Valley at this point. I moved to Oakland in 99, just sort of accidentally, like to be roommates with my old college boyfriend. And uh, I have not left. I've been here since 99, and I've never lived in San Francisco.
1: I've been in Oakland the whole time. Did you fall in love with Oakland or the Bay Area the first time you showed up? I know that you came here because of somebody else or with somebody else, not because of somebody oh else. Oh, no, we were just friends.
2: Yeah. I just came here because I was living in Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I'm in Oakland, and I need a roommate. And I said, good idea. See you in 30 days. And you're like, Lincoln is amazing, but right. let's go here. It was and Omaha. Omaha? Yeah. that's just Which is the... actually a really nice town. I shouldn't disparage it. But at yeah. some point, you run out of things to do. Given your story about did I fall in love with Oakland right away, there's kind of a wonderful uh, Omaha crossover here, which is I did fall in love with Omaha right away. So I ended up there because I was working for the Associated Press. And the Associated Press is like the Army. They just kind of, when you're new, they just send you places. They just literally post you places. And so I started in in Montana after I graduated from college. And then they sent me to Seattle, and I was in Seattle for four months. Great. And then they gave me my permanent assignment, which was in Omaha, Nebraska. And I was like, what did I do? Who have I offended?
0: <laughs> There's a great uh, FX show, Justified. Has anyone seen Justified?
2: I've seen commercials for it.
0: Oh, okay. Highly recommend it. Federal agent gets transferred from Miami to his hometown in Harlan, Kentucky. Oh, so, you know.
2: Similar. Yeah, yep. similar. But so so, right. So I thought, I've been exiled. This is terrible. But I drove into Omaha, you know, moved there by car. I drove in at, you know, like, sunset in April, and all the hills were green, and the river was running through it, and just sparkling, and it was just this beautiful light. And I was like, oh my God, the city is great. And as I was moving to my apartment, I met the people next door, and they invited me to the bar that night. And by the end of my first official night in Omaha, after you know a few days of living in a hotel, I knew everybody. I knew the whole town. I had a wonderful experience there. I moved to Oakland, to a not great neighborhood. And on my third day in Oakland, when I parked my truck with still most of my stuff in it, which I blame my roommate for, for not telling me, uh, that that's not a good idea. Parked my truck at Rockridge Bart to go into the city for a job interview, and my truck got stolen with all my stuff in it. Oh. And that was my welcome to Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't just get up,
1: pack your bags, and be like, "I'm done." Pack I mean, your, no bags. There were no bags, bags,
2: right? Like, where was I going to go? I had no money. I had, no, you know, I was 22 or something, so I had no uh, means to escape that situation. But it was pretty much the opposite of rolling into Omaha. I can tell you that. Did you
1: ever think that you would come to the Bay Area? Did you want to come here? Where'd you grow up?
2: I grew up in Montana and North Dakota in almost equal numbers of years. There's more years in Montana. Anyway, lived there. I was born there. I lived there till I was 10. Then I went to North Dakota. Then I came back for college.
0: Montana. Montana feels like it's been in the news a ton lately and not in uh, necessarily good life. So I, I keep thinking of the energy deal, the Whitefish energy oh, yeah. deal. And then I think of the, uh, you know, it's strange. Whitefish, also the white supremacist guy. What's his name or the white nationalist? Yep. Uh,
2: Spencer. Richard Spencer. He lives there, right? Is it? white? Yeah, it's Whitefish. His mom lives there. He, like, lived there for some period of time, I think. So, what's going on in Montana? It contains multitudes, Montana. It is. I mean, it's, it's been very interesting living. I mean, I've now been here, obviously, longer than I had been any other place in my life, um, which was very unexpected to me. In fact, when I met the guy that I moved here to be roommates with in college and he told me he was from the Bay Area, I said, Green Bay? <laughs> I mean, like, I literally had no idea what Bay he was talking about. It was sort of that far from my consciousness. But— Montana is a really interesting place to grow up because it's very, don't tread on me. You know, it's sort of much more like compared to North Dakota, it's much more independent, less nosy. It's conservative, but in more of a sort of a survival based way. Not so kind of like, I'm in your business Lutheran like the North Dakotans. Mm -hmm. In fact, the last time I was in Montana for a vacation was the first time in a really long time where I felt like, wow, I'm really different now. And it's gotten a lot redder. It's gotten a lot more hostile feeling
0: to me. The other one, the uh, the body slam guy.
2: Gianforte. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You didn't read the story? I guess not. Should I have?
2: This was the guy who was about to be elected to Congress who body slammed a reporter. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Body slam. Gianforte. Yes. Yes. Okay. Gianforte. Thank you for helping who me. Is a Silicon
2: Valley again. tech billionaire who moved to Montana and ran for office. And so that, like I remember when that story broke, just thinking to myself, The Montana I grew up in wouldn't have voted for a tech billionaire who essentially was propped up by all of the Sinclair-owned newspapers. Or not Sinclair, but they all it's all one organization that owns all the local papers who in lockstep endorsed this guy. Like, I remember thinking the independence is being sort of drained away in some ways. And I would never do any blanket classification around Montana because it's just not that kind of place. It does contain multitudes, but it's interesting. I do feel, though, as a result of my upbringing— that I have a pretty a very different perspective than a lot of my friends in the Bay Area and better coping skills. <laughs> well, I
1: think that the, the idea of the tech billionaire moving to Montana and being kind of recognized as the every person there is a trend that we see that kind of came from around here. At least I feel like it came from around here. It's the I'm the tech billionaire person. I started this company. But you and I, we're just the same. We work the same way. We have the same access to stuff. It feels like it's very much a part of the ethos around the Bay Area. Is hmm. it just me or do you guys feel the same way?
2: What, tech billionaires are just like us? Yeah. Like Us Weekly? Yeah. I I don't feel that way about them.
1: Yeah, I don't know
0: how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I totally
1: think it's a part of here it's like the it doesn't matter who you are how much you have you're just a part of the community of the Bay Area and there's no stopping from me asking you for something or reaching out to you or somebody reaching out to me I'm definitely not one of the tech billionaires but that's a it feels very distinctly Bay Area to me and this kind of like I'm going to take all that I have and I'm going to go transplant myself somewhere else to Montana maybe and just be a part of whatever is going on in the community and I'm going to shed the fact that I have billion. Of dollars feels very much like the Bay Area to me. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I guess I could buy that. He's
0: like, maybe. When you put it that way. (laughs) When you put it that way.
2: Yes. You still don't buy it. No.
0: I am curious who is the hardest person to cover that you've encountered, speaking of tech billionaires?
2: Jeff Bezos, unquestionably, even though he's not Bay Area. So he's definitely the hardest tech billionaire. I guess if I had to say Bay Area, I would say, I mean, certainly Elon is like the white whale for journalists, I think. And they're surprisingly well-trained. Like, you know, even though he himself is not, when you interface with Tesla, when you try to talk to SpaceX, it's sort of like talking to Apple or Facebook, like these very locked down, very, very on-message kind of people. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg are really similar. What's so interesting is that I perceive them exactly the opposite that you do, partly because I feel like there's such an interesting caste system in the Bay Area when you look at who does all of the work for all of these rich people and how calcified that's getting i mean that we're you know the things that that it seems perfectly okay to use an app to hire people to do as opposed to living like in some kind of similar circumstance <laughs> like that feels very far away from me and then i think perhaps my perception is colored by the fact that all of them mark benioff elon musk jeff bezos mark zuckerberg tim cook you know i mean we've been trying to get tim cook on marketplace for years it's marketplace like <laughs> you know, they are not accessible. They are the opposite of accessible and transparent and available in every man. And then when you talk to them, it's just like... "Mm
0: -hmm." Is it true of business leaders in general? Or would you say it's more true of tech business leaders?
2: That's a tough question for me because I've been covering tech for so long. But I can say that when I look at the number of CEOs that get interviewed, you know, on CNBC or on Marketplace or in the New York Times, tech certainly has more secrecy and more kind of... I don't know, this sense of, in, of like, entitlement about not being part of the press narrative, I guess.
0: What's the craziest thing a company or a person has done to attempt to suppress or, you know, edit a story?
2: I mean, I'm going to go with Peter Thiel and Gawker here, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the craziest story I've ever heard. You know, when I first got into covering tech in the early 2000s, Apple was my beat. So I covered Apple hardware and software. And that company is legendary for obviously secrecy, but also trying to control the press narrative. And they had people on staff who I then worked with later in different capacities who were like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's sort of like being uh, Michael Cohen or something, whose job it was. In fact, when I heard the Michael Cohen tape on NPR the other day, I was like, I had an Apple guy talk to me like that. Like, I literally had somebody from the Apple PR department call me and essentially yell at me, berate me. Threatened to not send us product anymore. I mean, that is the kind of stuff that they would do regularly sounds under like, the Apple. Sounds the like what team. Yasha's
0: role is with Mozilla—a fixer, right? Totally, I, I'm, right? Yeah, clearly. You're the fixer.
2: Totally. I yell at
1: people all the time. Uh, look, maybe there's a naivety that I have, and it's part of the view that I had about the Bay Area coming into it. Like, I, I moved here because I loved the idea that you could have access to everything and that there was a community of people that were really supportive. But the more and more that we have discussions on this podcast uh, with experts like yourself that are in the industry of journalism, we start to kind of peel back these layers of the, kind of the promise of the Bay Area is um, kind of a farce. There's so much control around access to information and people. Um, The storyline, though, from the outside in is very much the opposite of the way that it is. I mean, I take it back. I get why there's control. I get why companies want control of a message in particular. But I don't understand why the story of Silicon Valley is so much about this is the place of meritocracy and this is the place of an amazing community that's going to support you developing cool technologies. But it's not really like that on the inside. I don't know why that is.
0: I, I agree with that. And I'm sure you see this all the time.
2: Yeah, the psychology question is interesting. Why is it that way? But I think it's because, I mean, if you look at the population in this industry and the the people who are telling that story, it's clearly very homogenous. Yeah. And it's people for whom the idea that it's not a meritocracy has never been a reality. Like it it always has been a meritocracy for those white guys, you know, and for those people who have that money. And then as the money part, gets so much more real. And those numbers get so much higher. And so many people have so much money. I mean, we know, actually, scientifically, that the richer you are, the less empathy you have over time. And so you have this like population of people here, for whom nothing has ever been very hard. They have a ton of money, and probably a correspondingly uh, weak sense of empathy. And then on top of that, they are 100% convinced that they are right. About the solutions to all of our problems. And those solutions are all technology. And then mm-hmm. it just becomes this like a Ruberos. Like they just, it feeds, you know, well, technology is a meritocracy and the blah, 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 and the money and then nah,
0: switching gears a little bit. Can we talk Please. about psychedelics?
2: Like bumming myself out.
0: Let's talk about acid. So Michael Paulian has been going around town.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And he's been doing all these podcasts and he just wrote a book about acid use yeah. and how it can essentially reboot the brain. You see a lot of things like this, you know, whether it's acid or— psilocybin, you
1: know,
2: right.
0: or Or, well, or cat yeah. shit coffee or the whatever.
2: Neurotropics, like the whole all the brain enhancement drugs.
0: Okay, so first of all, I want your take on the—have uh, you read the book? I haven't read the
2: book. I haven't yet. read the book, but I've read like the summary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like all
2: of us. I just read the headline on Twitter, so I know all about it.
0: Would love your hot take on on the book, but what about this tendency for the Bay Area in general to get into these, these trends?
2: Yeah. Which makes perfect sense, right? If it's a community of hackers, like, of course, they want to hack every part. And of course, they want to figure out how to get. And it's also highly competitive. I read a long time ago some story about people getting plastic surgery in their 20s, in their late 20s and early 30s, because there's such a cachet around being like a 25-year-old founder, which interestingly, like the stats don't bear out. You know, most founders are actually between 34 and 44 in terms of people who get the money. But there's this pressure to be young here. And so I think probably anything that can give you an advantage, whether it's a nootropic or a little bit of acid or presumably not weed because you don't think so good anymore. But that actually makes perfect sense to me as something that fits inside that culture and also is a little bit counterculture. Like weirdly, despite us becoming essentially Wall Street, (laughs) there, there still is a little bit of that DNA of counterculture that was from the garages in the 60s. Do you like it here? I do. I feel like my relationship status with the Bay Area is complicated because sometimes I do have these, you know, I just went through trying to place my 11-year-old in middle school. I am a renter, and so I, in three years, have moved twice because my landlord sold my house to cash out and get money, you know. So, I mean, there are these things that are like—and not to mention potholes and traffic and just the thing that, like, if my friends live in San Francisco and I live in Oakland, they could live in Omaha, (laughs) actually— For as often as we're going to hang out. Because I'm like, I'm sorry, babe. There's a bridge between you and me. <laughs> and that bridge is no joke. So I have these moments sometimes where I'm like, why do I live here? But I think now I live here because my life is here. And I, I do love the fact that people here want more. Like, I have a friend who worked at Uber and suffered all of the things that you would suffer being a Filipino woman at Uber. But the one thing that she said that has stuck with me and that I understand and crave is that she said, I worked with these people who like nobody ever settled. Nobody there was just doing the job. Everybody was so hungry and so smart and the absolute top of their game and the best of the best. Like, you will have conversations here that you can't have anywhere else. You will meet people who will sincerely change the world, not just believe that they are right about changing the world. And the intellectual stimulation here, not to mention the weather, is unparalleled.
1: Not to mention the weather. Is that sustainable? (laughs) And by sustainable, I'm really talking about the next decade. Like, can the positive aspects that you just described about San Francisco stay here?
2: I mean, I think I'm a Gemini, so there are two fully formed humans in here at all the, at all times. So, like, I can, with equal conviction, take the other side of the argument that I just made about why I like it here. And I think part of the reason I do like it here is that I live in Oakland, where the weather is better and there is a greater sort of diversity of interaction. It is possible that I will meet people on the street who don't work in tech, and that's great. And yep. I live around the corner from my friend who's a gondolier singer, you know? like Where? on in- Like Lake Merritt? He's a Yeah, he's a gondolier singer on Lake Merritt. Ooh, how cool. I know. He's just a playboy opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody talks about
0: very similar issues. I'm not going to lie here. We've had several guests. It's housing crisis. Mm-hmm. It's homelessness.
2: Homelessness, for God's sake. Yeah,
0: there we go. Okay.
2: It's appalling. I'm sorry, but it is morally appalling to ask the people of this city and of Oakland where homelessness has gone up 40% in the last two years and is mainly black and brown people and plenty of them actually have full-time jobs and literally cannot live. And it is morally abhorrent that the billionaires that we just listed and our city governments essentially have all of us citizens making a daily choice whether to let someone live or die that day. Like, sorry, I got to drive by you every day. There might be seven of you. And each one of you, I have to like either help out, help you live today, or like let you die a little bit. And I have to make that moral choice every day. And if we think that that is not corrosive... We're wrong. Like it is appalling to me that we're surrounded by as much money and free shit in offices as we are, and none of that. Like the food waste alone at tech companies that like, could make its way into homeless encampments. It's just like don't talk to me about your liberal values, not for a nanosecond.
0: So where I was going with sorry. This, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad we did get your get your take on it. You know, aside from housing crisis, homelessness, maybe to some extent transportation. Give us a new one to think about, one that maybe not so many people are thinking about that's an issue that you encounter on a regular basis.
2: Mm. I think it's homogeneity. I really do. Mm. Like I said, I might run into somebody in Oakland who doesn't do the same thing, but it's not that likely. And so the thing that has always made the Bay Area, I think, really vibrant is that you can have this incredible range. You can go from the mountains to the, you know, from the snow to the beach, but increasingly, everything is starting to feel the same, like our Bay Area version of a strip mall. Everybody you talk to, you essentially have the same conversation. Like they're in some version of product or app development or, you know, search marketing optimization, if that's even – if people are still doing that. And like all the coffee shops have the same vibe and everybody's doing that crappy sour coffee. Like oh, yeah. Phelous we've talked there. about
0: this here. The uh, the reclaimed wood, that's a bust. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. All the style is the same. All the cars – are the same? Like it's either a Tesla or an Audi or maybe a 3 Series. You know what? I'm just – I'm selling my 3 Series. <laughs> 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 I need I need a car that ticks more boxes, but no, yeah, I to am To our totally listeners,
0: uh, there's a 3 Series for sale. Uh, there is a
2: 3 Series. Uh, yeah. It's really special, you guys. It's a we manual. We can't vouch for uh, – It's a six-speed manual. Okay. It's got an M package. It. It's there, a nice car. There
1: might be one of them in the Bay Area.
2: It's yours. Yeah, and it's mine. That's exactly. kind of awesome.
1: Though. We should just start selling stuff on this podcast.
2: I think it's a good idea. You if you guys get you my car sold,
1: I'll be stoked. Uh, we're moving. And so we've got like an outdoor furniture set that we'd like to sell, a couple <gasps> of sweet umbrellas. I've got the most beautiful tree that's actually in a planter in our house. It's a Japanese maple. The three oh, of us manual. should create, here we go, app, app or company We could company create a
2: marketplace. Idea. Not like the radio show, like Craigslist
0: the, uh, podcast. We, amazing. you know, we have the opportunity to describe these items in a in
1: be, in detail. We all have great voices, so you know, you know, uh, Molly pretty much invented
2: podcasting
1: too, <laughs> right? Like you were early I, on in I podcasting.
2: Helped. Don't no, Adam Curry's is going to come at us, bro. I was a very, very early podcaster. It is true. I did not in, inform the medium in any way. But I do think, so I think that sameness to answer that question, even the food is the same. Like when I go to LA now, I'm like, oh, you guys have so many different cool food types. It's not just like bland California cuisine and sour coffee and reclaimed wood. And so I think that homogeneity, even though it might not look like strip malls and Applebee's, is just as kind of
0: why. What's the dangerous. What's the risk? What's the danger? So then play that out. Let's just say it it becomes more homogenous.
2: Then you get intolerance, which we, don't get me wrong, we have. I mean, the the, you know, I feel very conflicted, and this is kind of where my, like, red state background comes in a little bit, I think, because very often I'm, like, the moderate in the room. And when I hear Sam Altman and Peter Thiel talk about groupthink in the Bay Area and how it's not welcome to have alternative ideas, I'm like, well, okay, what you're saying, though, is that you want an unobstructed right to be a total asshole. However— You're not wrong. Like, we aren't tolerant of alternative ideas. We're not even that tolerant of questioning. For example, I don't like sour coffee. Nah, you're wrong. Like, there's this, and it's fed by all of our interactions. I don't like sour coffee
1: either. Let me tell you. I knew I liked you. Let me tell you both why sour coffee is amazing. I'm (laughs) kidding. I don't don't like sour
2: coffee. Someone would, though. Someone would come at me on Twitter and be like, You're an idiot.
1: Tyler Engineer loves sour coffee.
2: Oh, Tyler. He's got a cup full of it now. <laughs> Ooh. We
1: should sell his shirt. <laughs>
2: that,
0: that, thing, that, thing needs, that thing needs to go.
1: Uh, so we've got a tree, outdoor furniture, an M three six speed automatic yep. or six speed manual. So, this is good. I think we're probably going to pay for all of next season's production work.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Forget advertising. This is the insight. See, we get something new out of every guest. And Molly brought us the gift of Eat forget advertising and podcasting. Yeah, pod commerce. Pod commerce <gasps> uh, done. Yeah,
1: all right. This is good.
0: Oh, here we go. I, I've got a good one for you. You can interview any one guest in the Bay Area. I'm doing this partially to get ideas for us. Come on, give me one or two non-tech Bay Area residents that you you dream interviews.
2: Lay, lay some on me, and I'll tell you if I want them. I turned your idea generation back on you, friend. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Maybe you would. Maybe you would say Gavin Newsom.
2: You know, that's funny. Actually, I was going to say I would like to interview the governor candidates, particularly yeah. to me, the Republican ones. Like, I'm just yeah. am super curious about how that, you know, because we forget the Bay Area is not the only place in California. Gavin Newsom, I'm not sure he's my jam. Yeah. I'm really struggling with this. The yeah, I got to mail in my ballot soon. And uh, yeah, I would love, I want to have all those conversations about like, what are you going to, and the San Francisco mayoral candidates?
1: I've got a good one for you. Okay. And it, this is like my big Bayer crush right now, Dominique Crenn. I think is awesome. That's she's the, good, the chef, good and she's like her. a rock mm-hmm. star. You know her, like you're friends with her. No,
2: no, no. I have interviewed her. She's just like rock and roll,
1: and has beautiful restaurants. She
2: does. Oh, <laughs> what? I'm gonna, I'm What's gonna let that? that? I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one. Oh, it might not be as uh, okay. It will be a lot about Dominique.
1: I think I find that attractive, though, that, like, the I'm a rock star, and I've got this vibe about being a rock star. Like, I kind of dig. My mom is a rock concert promoter, so I used to see all these shows. And every once in a while, I run into somebody. And It's not like I've spent any quality time with her at all, other than showing up and paying money to go to one of her restaurants. But there's just this vibe that's like, you should be up on a stage rocking with Billy Idol,
2: Mm, but you're making
1: food. And that's cool.
2: That's totally her vibe. And that's not tech.
1: Yeah. I'd like to
2: talk to E40.
1: Oh, nice! I love, good, his, I love his. I
2: love his uh, Warriors based revival. I think it'd be pretty outstanding.
1: I had a conversation at a concert this oh, last weekend. Oh, I got about it about the Click
2: too. Like, who's left in the Click? I got it though. It's Ryan Coogler.
1: Oh,
0: great one! Uh, great, great one. Fruitvale Station. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Black Panther. No yeah, spoilers.
0: He's great. Mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan is is phenomenal. Yeah, he's just turned that guy's career into. Next level.
2: It's, it's funny. My son and I were just talking about this because there was something on the radio about is uh, LeBron James better than Michael Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Michael B. Jordan? I'm like, different guy. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, you know, he's like, who is that again? And I was That's like. so funny. You know, I said, Killmonger. And he's like, oh, okay, well, obviously. But then I said, you know, he was in Creed and he was in Fruitvale Station. And he goes, oh, is he from Oak? He did all these Oakland movies. Like he was just so proud. It's funny that my son is like a born and bred Oaklander through and through. Like he's super offended that he was born in Berkeley. Because all babies in the East Bay are born in Alta Bates, which is, we just call it the baby factory.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Molly, we covered a lot of ground today, but we haven't asked you the one really important question, which is the question that we ask all of our guests. When you think about all the social networks that you spend your time on right now, and even thinking about the conversation that we've had throughout today— who are the people or brands or companies or whatever non-denominational thing that you look at that you think people should follow so that they get a little bit more diversity in their lives mm-hmm. or, or at least cancel out the homogeny that lives so much in the
2: Bay Area? Right. I'm just going to give you kind of like some of my favorites right now. I really like <laughs> – this is just purely shallow and for fun. But my absolute current favorite Instagram account is House of Highlights.
1: Do you know House of Highlights? Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just wonderful. And some days it's literally where I get all my basketball news. House of Highlights, for those who don't know, it is an Instagram account devoted to sports highlights, primarily the NBA. And it's just delightful. And it's like this 22-year-old kid who had this great idea and it got bought by Bleacher Report. And now it's sort of like in partnership with it. I just, I love it. If you're a sports fan, you will heart it. Um, On Twitter, one of my favorite follows is Matthew A. Cherry, who just kind of awesomely tweets about black culture a lot is a a super interesting commentator and I'm a big fan of this guy uh, at Pope Hat who is a lawyer and legal scholar we had him on make me smart so I'm kind of cheating like I don't even really know his name I just know Pope Hat and his Twitter feed is absolutely fantastic and just like fantastic in that kind of provocatively moderate thinking sort of way and he's not you know he's he's very opinionated but I just think like if you would like a super smart perspective on some stuff do that it is not lost on me, by the way, that I recommended three dudes to follow on Twitter. So that's kind of a bummer from my perspective. Also follow Feminista Jones because she is rad.
0: I, I have a final question that will probably get edited in or or out. Maybe, I don't know. So the mayoral race is, is coming up. Forget about the candidates on the ballot right now. If there was a person or two people that you could just appoint to be mayor of San Francisco, you talk to a lot of people who would they be? And with the objective of, say, fixing the homeless problem Mm -hmm. and the housing crisis. Those are the two goals. Who is the person or people that could do it?
2: Jerry Brown. (laughs) Just put him back. Just put Jerry back. I mean, the stuff that Jerry Brown laid in place. I mean, there are definitely, you know, there are probably other ideas and I'm just not well, steeped enough in, like, yes, would I like somebody with a great moral compass who's going to put homelessness first? Sure. Like, I was the dumbass who was pro John Edwards because he, like, actually talked like a Democrat. I was like, yeah, he wants to help poor people. Good for him. That's what this party is supposed to do. Turns out, yeah, Mayday. But, you know, when I moved to Oakland, Jerry Brown had just started this, like, Oakland revitalization project, and it was 10,000 new housing units, and it was bringing businesses in and this, like, huge investment. That essentially just now, like in the last four years, I have seen, you know, this stuff takes so much longer, I think, than anybody realizes. And the long view and the patience that comes from, I think, having done this a bunch of times. Like, I would just love to see Jerry Brown come back home and put his brain to work on stuff that will take time. And he knows it. And he's not going to, like, sugarcoat that. But I see his track record playing out in Oakland right now. And so that's the dude I'd like to have in my corner.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, it was wonderful having you here. You're great. You know what what else we need? We need a cough drop company as an official sponsor of this episode, or uh, or like a throat lozenge company. So
1: yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: do that for you. Oh, oh you okay. should get
2: this tea. Throat coat.
0: Yeah. Throat coat. Yeah.
2: Okay. That tea is throat, magical.
1: Throat coat is the
0: unofficial, they're not affiliated with this podcast sponsor of today's episode.
1: Thanks for helping us invent podcommerce today.
2: Too. Podcommerce. I can't wait. This is gonna be a You already did the unicorn. mnemonic. It's gonna be unicorn.
1: Yeah, except somebody's going to take the idea.
2: They can't now. We've essentially copyrighted it. If you write it down, a copyright is automatically inferred to you. If you buy
0: the URL podcommerce.com, I'm coming for you.
1: I know we said it before we introduced the episode with Molly, but that business idea we came up with is legit. Yeah,
0: I know. I think we're going to get some emails from people who want to buy her BMW.
1: The BMW, and maybe they want to participate in our new pod commerce thing. Yeah, uh, but we're going to be very careful and lock down those URLs. (laughs) Absolutely. This has been a very cool episode learning about Molly and Molly's relationship with the Bay Area. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it with Molly, please go to the app store that you found us on and rate us five stars. It helps out the podcast a tremendous amount.